Likutei Sichas Chelikutes, Volume 19, the Sicha for Rosh Hashanah slash Vav Tishrei, the sixth of Tishrei. This Sicha will explain the story which we read in the Haftorah of the first day of Rosh Hashanah about Chana, the prophetess Chana, and the birth of her son, the prophet Shmuel. Incidentally, the name Chana is very much connected to the sixth of Tishrei, which marks the Yortzeit the anniversary of passing of the Rebbe's mother, whose name was Chana. In this Sicha will be explained a very fundamental question in Judaism. You know, prayer is a very spiritual thing. Yet, we always find in our prayers, and especially when it comes to the holy days of Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, that we continuously ask, we keep on asking over and over again for our material needs. And how is that, how is this considered to be something spiritual? Uh, just briefly to go over the story, which we read in the Haftorah. The story is about Chana, who was married to one of the Jewish leaders at the time, and she was childless. And the story is when she comes to the Mishkan at the time, the Holy Temple, and she prays, and she's praying for her son. And she's very deep in prayer. And the way it appeared, she seemed to be talking to herself. She was standing there whispering something, talking to herself. Eli, who was the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, he observed this and it didn't seem right to him. After inquiring in the Urim Vitumim, in the breastplate, the letters which spell out Kshera, which means she is good, she's okay, she's fine, she's good, she's fit, they appeared. But he mistook it to read Shikoira, as if she's intoxicated, she's drunk, there's something wrong with her behavior. And he actually confronted her. And he says to her, what is this? What is this, this drunken behavior here in such a holy place, standing before God? And she said to him, no, my master. In fact, I am childless, and I am pouring out my heart before Hashem, and I am praying to Him. And finally he was convinced that indeed she was Kshera, she was kosher, she was fit, she was good. And in fact, not only did he seize the confrontation, but moreover, he gave her a blessing. And indeed the blessing was fulfilled, and she had Shmuel Hanavi was born on Rosh Hashanah. Interesting, that is one of the primary reasons why we read it on Rosh Hashanah. So let's get into the Sicha. The Rebbe says in the first day of Rosh Hashanah, it relates, the, the Haftorah relates the story with Chana, that she didn't have children, and through her prayer in the Mishkan, in the Holy Temple, she was finally remembered with a son who later became the prophet Shmuel Hanavi. Now, generally the purpose of reading a Haftorah is similar to the purpose of reading the Torah as we read the Torah in public on Shabbos and on special occasions such as the festivals. What is the idea behind it? That a Jew should derive lessons in his service to Hashem, either through the reading of the Shabbos or the given festival and so on. So obviously same is here, that the reason why we read this story, this particular story on the first day of Rosh Hashanah, namely that Chana was remembered and she was given a child on Rosh Hashanah, True that that is the obvious reason, but there has to be something on a deeper level. 
there has to be also a lesson there has to be a a particular directive which connects specifically to Rosh Hashanah not just that you know happenstance that you know this happened to have uh, coincided with the day of Rosh Hashanah in other words there has to be a significance here a, a learning moment here and that is the reason why we're reading it in Rosh Hashanah now if we look into the if we want to get a, into the Haftorah the, we get the general idea that most of the discussion most of the topic is surrounding the idea of prayer right Hannah prays and they have a discussion about the prayer it's about prayer and it makes sense that perhaps this is where we should put our focus in other words this is where the lesson the Rosh Hashanah lesson the Rosh Hashanah directive that applies to every Jew could be found so in order to understand it let's take a closer look analyze a little bit what took place here what went down Hannah's praying quietly as if she's talking to herself murmuring Ailey approaches her Ailey the high priest approaches her and he says to her how long woman are you going to act so intoxicated are you going to act like a drunkenness and she answers him no my master not at all I am childless the Eshboich is nafshi Hashem, and I'm pouring out my soul to God. Now here's a question. Number one, how is it possible? How is it fitting such a holy great man to make such a such an extreme mistake, such a such a drastic, you know, miscalculation of the whole situation? And he got the whole thing wrong. So it seems, and even by his own admission. Number two. Why would the Torah relate this to us? In other words, we know in general the Torah shies away from speaking negatively about any anyone or anything even, even an animal. Why would the Torah portray him in such a negative light that he made such a colossal mistake? Number three, practically speaking, if he thought that she was in the wrong, the way she was talking, the way she was praying, what she was doing, he should have stopped her right there and sent her out. But he didn't. He waited until she finished her prayer and then he confronted her and had a discussion with her so from all this it's clear and it's obvious that Ailey didn't have a problem with her that she was praying he didn't have a problem with her that she was praying quietly the problem that he had is when he observed her as the verse tells us here beside his file that she kept on praying and <clears throat> she prayed so much and the other key point here is the response of Hannah that the reason why she prayed so much the reason why she was praying so adamantly so deeply so strongly was because of pouring out her soul to Hashem and this is the connection uh, the to Rosh Hashanah the her story her the story of Hannah and the answer and the explanation this sheds light on the prayers of Rosh Hashanah you see because in Rosh Hashanah we find two things which seem to be very two paradoxical themes in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah you see on the one hand it's the day of judgment this is when God judges and decides all our needs all our basic material life needs for the entire year and that's why we ask give us life give us health give us this give us that give us the Parnassah livelihood and so on and so forth but on the other hand what is really one of the main themes or perhaps the most important theme in the prayers of Rosh Hashanah 
That's where we ask Hashem. We say, Please, choose to please be king over the entire world. You and only you. In other words, we're asking Hashem to be king. Now, if so, the question is, how could one start asking, how could one be busy asking for their own material needs, for their own wants even, at a time when we're asking Hashem to be a king? When you ask Hashem to be a king, it means you're saying, you be the king and we will be totally subservient to you. We're going to be your people. But your people means that we're not going to have our own arrogant needs, but rather we're going to be totally subservient to you as if we don't exist. And in fact, the Zohar refers to those people who spend the day of Yom Kippur, which is really attached to Rosh Hashanah, only asking for the needs. In other words, their only focus is for what they need and for what they want and what they want from Hashem and so on, their material needs. The Zohar refers to them, compares them to dogs who all they do is they just ask have, have, give, give, you know, more and more, but they don't think about what's really important, what's really the main point of Yom Kippur and likewise as of Rosh Hashanah, that Hashem is king, that we want to be connected to Hashem. Now, this question is a very powerful question. But now when we open up the prayer book, we open up a Siddur, or a Machzer in this case, what do we find? That it's not our decision it's not on our volition that we're asking Hashem for all these things. It rather that the Chachamim, the sages, who set up the Nusach of the davening, the ones who actually tell us what to say and how to say it, they're the ones who put it in. So it is the right thing to do, right? I mean, what else am I supposed to do? In other words, in the same prayers that they set for us and we just kind of follow their script, they, in the one hand, um, intimate that the most important element of, and the most important uh, objective of Rosh Hashanah is to ask Hashem to be king, thus to be subservient to Him, thus not to have any of our own needs. And at the same time, they also put into the prayers, they inserted so many prayers, which talk about Hashem, give us this, give us that, give us this, and so on. So what is it? And in truth, this question in general also applies to any given day of the year. Because if you think about it, any weekday, what do we do? We stand here in the most intimate point of our prayer. When you're standing like like a servant stands before his master in that quiet time that you're intimately in front of the king, and what do we do? We say, give us this, give us that, give us that. What's going on here? What is, what, what, what's the meaning in this? How does this make sense? The answer is, the fact that a Jew asks for their own needs on Rosh Hashanah or likewise on any given day of the year, this is because the Jew really has a deep desire and, and strongly wants to be able to carry out Hashem's desire, Hashem's purpose in why He created the world. And when we say, that Hashem should become king all over the whole, the whole world, how did Hashem become king on the whole world? How did Hashem set it up that he should be, quote, king on the world, that he should be welcomed here, that he should have the world as, quote, it should be a comfortable dwelling place for him, so to speak, to settle down here. 
And since every single nishama, every single soul, has its spark, sparks of holiness that it needs to elevate, that it needs to bring closer to Hashem, that it needs to take the material things in which those sparks of holiness um, reside and make those material, uh, material things um, a, a, a dwelling place, a matter in which Hashem can write on, can reside in, and, and they, they elevate it that way, therefore, Every Jewish person, every soul asks for these things and says, please give me those material things. Please give me those things in this material world with which I could make the kavana, your intention, make your purpose for creating the world, make it actually come to fruition. And this is just as my own words now. This is, think about it. Think about a soldier or a law enforcement officer that comes asking for proper equipment. Are they doing it for their own benefit? For their own desires? Are they doing it for their own interests? No. The ultimate interest they have is to win the war, to protect the motherland, to, to win the war for the king. So when they're asking, they're not asking for themselves, they're asking for the sake of the king. Likewise, every single show. And this comes actually from the essence of the soul. That the fact that this essence of the soul is totally subservient to, the, to Hashem and wants to fully and absolutely fulfill Hashem's desire and why He created the world and making a dirbetachtainim, making a dwelling place down here. Therefore, this trickles down that we ask for it and we have a strong need for all these things. This is the explanation. However, there's still a question. The prayer book, the Siddur or the Machser, wasn't written just for tzaddikim who are in tune with their soul. It wasn't just written for you know the holy people that you know actually have this strong desire to fulfill Hashem's wish, wishes and that's why they ask for the material things. The fact is, I don't know about you, I know about myself. The fact is when we stand there and we 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 ask for our material needs, we really mean it. We really mean it with our whole heart. We don't think about oh the soul needs it and therefore I'm going to ask for it. No, it's so natural because we're connected to it. This is a reality. This is something that we can feel, something that we see, something that we know, something that we need. So how still, the question remains, how could they have placed it into the sitter for each and every one of us to ask for our needs? In other words, it would have been easier how they said, listen, on Rosh Hashanah, you don't think about yourself. You only think about God. You ask God to be king, and you continuously talk about that, you know, beat that drum of Hashem being king, Hashem being king, only Hashem, nothing else but Hashem. How do they expect us to, on the one hand, you know, think of Hashem and think about Hashem being king, about this lofty idea of and yet on the other, at the same time, we're asking for our own needs. To understand this, there is a, a an insight from the Baal Shem Tov on a verse that describes certain uh, certain situations where people are in the desert. We actually read this chapter in, in, in the Psalms, chapter 107. We read it every Friday afternoon before Shabbat as we conclude the week. And the verse says, Re'evim gamsemeim nafsham bahem tesatov that they're hungry and thirsty, as they're in the desert, they're hungry and thirsty, their soul, their spirit, gets like swallowed in, fails within them. And it's describing a situation in which they're starving and everything, and Hashem 
helps them. Hashem saves them from that situation. So Baal Shem Tov gives us a deeper insight into this verse, and he explains it as follows. That when a Jew is hungry or thirsty, in other words, when a Jew has a desire for a material thing, whether it be food or whatever it may be, this is because the soul that's enveloped within them, the soul is crying out, the soul has a strong desire for it, the soul is yearning for it and asking for it. True, the person doesn't really feel that. The person is feeling literal, down-to-earth hunger or thirst or temptation. But deep, deep down, it's the soul that's actually triggering it at a very, very deep level. In other words, the soul senses an opportunity here to elevate the sparks of holiness and that the soul sells the signals which later become translated to the person as just a material want, a physical need. Likewise over here, the hunger that we have, that desire that we have for all these material things which we ask for on Rosh Hashanah is really triggered that because deep within us there's a deep desire that Hashem be truly king over the whole world and that the world be a dira betachtoinim, it be a dwelling place down here for His holiness, for His greatness. The fact that we see that when Jews are in shul on Rosh Hashanah, you don't see the same passion and the same excitement when Jews scream out, Please Hashem be king over the whole world, like the excitement and passion when we're reading the Nisana Toikif and we say, Who's going to live and who's going to die? Who's going to live a tranquil life? Who's going to be not tranquil? Who's, who's you know, by hunger, who's by sore... There, everybody wakes up and everybody's excited and everybody is so into it. The reason for that is, and it doesn't negate what we said, is still it comes from the soul. But the fact is that in order for Hashem to, to have us achieve the fulfillment of His plan, of His desire, of Dirbet Achtoinim, what did Hashem do? He made Nishama Beguf. He put the soul in a body. And the body is the one who carries out the mission. And therefore, ultimately, when we feel with the body, even though it seems to us that what we're feeling is our bodily needs, but it's because deep down the soul is within it. And the soul is awaiting and yearning to be able to, to have the opportunity to accomplish this feat, to accomplish the mission that Hashem, for which Hashem put it here into this world. It hungers to make a dirabetachtoinim, and that's why when it comes to the basic gashmiz needs, to the material needs, that's where the, it screams out. The soul is screaming out from within, and that's why we're crying out the way we're crying out, and the excitement that is so obvious and clear in any shul in the world. Now we'll understand the connection to this haftorah. Why this story and how it brings out this point? You see, when Eli, <clears throat> when Eli um, argued, Eli, the high priest, what was his argument? You're standing lifnei Hashem. You're standing before God. So there's no room. There's no place here. This is not the place to ask for your own needs. Moreover, to stand there and to continuously here besoli spalal to pray on and on and push and beg and beg this is not this is not the place for it and that's why he considered her shikaira drunk intoxicated as if she's intoxicated with her own needs 
Think of a drunken person. Everything around them becomes obliterated. Everything around them almost like seems to seem ceases to exist. As if it doesn't exist, he behaves, he does whatever his interests are in the moment, whatever his mind is telling in the moment, not considering any anything and any, anyone around him. Likewise, that's what Ailey was saying. You're not considering where you are. You're not taking into account that you're standing with Nei Hashem in such a holy place. How could you ask for your own needs? Here's where she answered him as he said, Hashem. I am pouring out my soul, my most inner point before Hashem. And actually the word lifnei doesn't only mean before, but as Chassidus explains, it means my pnimius, my most inner point, my most inner point of the soul, which connects to the most inner point of Hashem. In other words, what she was telling him, that it wasn't about her. It, wasn't, it was about the deep desire of the soul which is ultimately the desire of Hashem. And what do we see? Where's proof of this? Immediately after she made this argument, what did she say? She said that I make a vow, that if I merit and God answers my prayer and gives me a son, I am going to dedicate him. He is, I'm going to give him away for Hashem all the days of his life. In other words, what she was saying is, it's not about me. It's not like I'm looking a child to have a child so I have someone to play with, I have companionship, I have someone to go to the park with, someone to toy. No, to toy with. No, I am asking this that he should be for Hashem. I'm asking this for Hashem. The lesson for us, each and every one of us needs to have both aspects. Remember, we asked the question, why speak negatively? Why portray Ailey negatively? It's not a negative. There is a positive to it. On the one hand, we have to listen to that voice of Eli Hakoyin that's in us, that says, listen, this is a very holy day. Don't be drunk. Don't get consumed. Don't get distracted, intoxicated with your own material needs. That's not what this day is about. It shouldn't be about us. It should be about crowning Hashem as king. That's all it should be about. But on the other hand, we have to listen to and act on the Chana, the voice of Chana that's in us, that says, Hashem. Pour, You are pouring out my inner soul before Hashem. The inner soul that's connected with Hashem. That we have to ask for our material needs. And we have to ask it with an emiss. In a genuine manner. Why? Because our desire is to fulfill Hashem's desire, which is to make the world a dwelling place for Hashem. And just like we see in that story, that at the end, not only Eli, Eli was not, did, he, did he agree to what she said, but Eli in fact went ahead and blessed her and that blessing was fulfilled. And likewise with us, when we approach it in this manner, we are guaranteed, we are assured that Hashem himself will give us that blessing and fulfill all our needs and our heart's desires in a very good and revealed manner.